Hello, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. Being, <coughs> excuse me, being a pastor, um, we haven't always had the biggest income in the world. Uh, it's just one of those things, which is fine, and that's kind of what you know you're signing up for when God calls you to ministry. You're like, okay. Uh, but one of the ways God has taken care of our family is providing free vehicles for us. Um, now, usually they aren't, you know, top-of-the-line, brand-new, five-year-old, 10-year-old vehicles. Maybe 15-year-old vehicles is more what we're comfortable with. That's what we're used to driving. And it is such an amazing thing. I, this morning, I was counting it up. We've had at least seven completely free vehicles, others that mostly have been free to us. And now our son and Skylar, they just got a free vehicle. So God's just letting it flow on through the family. Uh, But one of our free vehicles, we nicknamed the White Winner. It was this beautiful Chevy Astrovan. Um, But to us, it was such a blessing because we needed a vehicle that could haul stuff. Um, If you're still too young to not realize that vans are amazing, you will get there someday. Uh, Always you're like, no, I'm never going to drive a minivan. And then you get a van and you're like, oh, these are great. I love, forget it. I don't care if I look like the, the biggest dad in the world. I will own that because vans are great. And this was one of our vans that was great to us. Uh, one night, my dad, who owns some land over by uh, Wapaka, north of Wapaka, called me up and said, hey, bring the boys over. We're going to have a campfire out in the woods. So we went over and had a campfire out in the woods. I pulled this beautiful white winter van, the Chevy Astro van, back into the woods. We got in there, and then uh, it was light when we went there. By the time we walked out, it was dark. Just had a great time around the campfire. Got in the van, started going, and went through this low part in this uh, muddy trail. And the white winter was no longer a winner. It got stuck. And we tried everything. We put pine boughs under there and branches and logs, and we could not get it to catch. And so here we are out in the middle of nowhere, up on a hill somewhere in the woods at night, and I've got two little kids, and my wife trusted me to take our boys, and we are in trouble. Um, But my dad, he knew an old Polish farmer who lived about a quarter of a mile away. So he hikes out to this old Polish farmer and says, hey, We need some help, and he gets on his old tractor. I will say it was a John Deere, for those of you who know what great tractors are. And uh, he came and and hooked us up and pulled us out, and all I had to do is sit there. I didn't even have to really steer, because that tractor was so powerful and it was so muddy, he just pulled us right through. And the boys were cheering, and it was a great time, and we got out of there. And um, I don't know how long it took us to tell Christy. Maybe I told her right She's never heard this before. I'll just let you know, confession is good for the soul. (laughs) So anyway, I was stuck, we were stuck, and we needed help. We needed someone else to come along with the John Deere tractor and pull us out of that mess. And that is us in life in a lot of ways, but the one we're going to look at this week and next week is we get stuck when it comes to finances, we get stuck when it comes to finances. And, and our big idea today is that God has a plan for your financial freedom. Now, I know some of you get real nervous when we talk about money in the church. 
I get it. I get nervous when I talk about money in the church. But we really shouldn't. Because money is just a tool that God gives us to accomplish what he wants done in our lives and in the world around us. So I want you just to, let's just take a big breath right now. (sighs) I am convinced that as we go through what we're going to look at in Scripture today, you're going to find a freedom and a joy and a liberty when it comes to finances that maybe you've never experienced before. Some of you may already be living it. You know these principles of God's Word. You know His heart, and you're living in the freedom. But most of us either never have or we desperately need a refresher when it comes to how we think about money. I don't know if you're like me, but... It's very easy for me to make spiritual things spiritual things and non-spiritual things non-spiritual things. And money seems like a very non-spiritual thing. It's what we work for. It's what we spend on toilet paper. I mean, how spiritual is that? If you, for some of you, it's an answer to prayer. You're like, I don't know what I do without this. We spend it on the things we want to spend it on. We spend it on our subscriptions and on our vehicles and on our homes and just getting through life. But did you know that God sees those things as deeply spiritual? Because God is integrated into everything that happens in our lives. God is not a church God and then we live our lives. God is a God of every part of who we are. And he wants to bring a thriving in our spirit, a freedom and liberty inside of us in every single area. I do a lot of weddings and a lot of marriage counseling, and I just, little side here, if you and your spouse need to just sit down with a third party and talk things out, set up some time with me. It's free. It's already paid for. That's what your tithes and offerings help pay for. If you need to talk through some stuff, let's talk. I promise whatever you tell me isn't going to shock me. I've heard the most extreme stories that you could imagine. And we see God move and God bring hope and a way through in restoration to marriages. But doing all that marriage and premarital counseling, I find finances is such a sticking point for couples. Maybe not in your marriage. I'm sure you've always agreed on how much money to spend on everything. Right? You never disagree. You're all, of course, honey, you go ahead and get a new truck and a new bow. And while you're at it, buy some more fishing poles and get a new motor for that boat, please. And the other, yes, go buy more clothes. And please, you need four pairs of those shoes, one in each color, because your outfits don't all match. So go for it. No problem. No, that is not usually how it works. We usually have opinions when it comes to money because money represents things to us. Money represents much more than a bank account, than an investment, than a debt level, than any of that. It represents so much more. And we're going to look at that and look at the freedom God offers to us in our finances. The first thing we need to do if we're going to really experience the freedom in our finances that God has planned for us is to take stock. Take stock of where things are right now in your life. Take stock of your finances. I tend to find two equal and opposite extremes when it comes to money. 
those who are obsessed with it and need to know everything and work out every last penny and balance their accounts and know exactly where everything goes, and those who ignore it completely and are shocked that there's not enough money in the bank account or they hit the end of their credit card. Those tend to be the two directions that people go, either hyper-aware or completely oblivious. And God's got a third way. God's got a third way in this. He wants us to take stock of the reality, to know where things are in your financial life, not to ignore it and not to obsess over it, but to be alert and aware and live in that reality. Take a real look at where things are. Now, certainly I'm speaking about balancing your checkbook, being aware of debt you have, knowing how much you make every year, knowing what your taxes are, not just to the IRS at the end of the year, but property taxes, sales tax, all those, know how much things are going to cost. Be aware of the subscription services you have. Isn't it insane? Everything nowadays is a subscription. Everything. And all of a sudden you're like, well, I need this channel because of this one show and this channel for this one show. And you're spending like $300 a month on subscriptions. Be aware of that. Don't just keep adding without being like, oh, where does this fit? Make a budget. Write down what comes in and what goes out. Take stock of your present state. If you don't know where you are, you don't know where to go. And sometimes that's very painful. I am more of a, things will work out. I'm sure it's all okay. Let's just coast. And that's never provided any tension for our marriage. Hun, it'll be fine. And she's like, that's great, but this bill is due and we need money for it. It'll work out. We are not meant to live that way, but to be aware of what's going on, to take stock of the reality. So certainly I'm talking about those things, good money management, being able to make a budget and stick to a budget, being able to not go into debt, not spend more than you make. That is the most basic, if you get nothing else today, I hope you do, but if you get nothing else about finances, spend less than you make. Yeah, it's shocking, unbelievable, but many of us spend more than we make, and it causes all kinds of troubles in our lives. It locks us up and holds us back. Hebrews 13.5 says this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The kind of stock I'm talking about taking is certainly the practical steps, but the deeper underlying reality of what role does money play in your life? What does money represent to you? Is it safety? Is it status? Is it value? Is it the ability to see your dreams fulfilled? What role does money play in your life? Is if you have enough money, you feel okay. If you don't have enough money, you're scared. Some of you, even if you have enough money, but not enough, enough, enough money, not three layers of contingencies, you're nervous and you're anxious and you're worried. Others of you, because you've never taken stock, you don't see the power that money really is meant to be in our lives. 
But what role does money play, do finances play, do wealth or the lack of it play in your life? This verse that we read out of Hebrews 13.5 starts with, keep your life free from the love of money. There's another passage in scripture that is misquoted all the time, which is, money is the root of all evil. That is not in the Bible. That is written nowhere in scripture. What that verse actually says is keep your life free from the love of money because it is the root of all kinds of evil. Money itself isn't bad. It's like a tool or a hammer or a snow shovel, which we will have to use in the next few months. It is a tool that's used to accomplish a task. But when you love the money instead it causes problems, and it can lead us to do all kinds of evil things if that is the pursuit and the love, if it holds our heart. So invite God to help you see what's really going on, what role money holds in your life, because we don't always see it clearly in ourselves. I mean, man, that's why we go to the doctor. That's why we look in the mirror, because we can't tell really what's going on with ourselves. Ask God to reveal what money is doing in your heart, what place it holds. Because money is a great thing. It's wonderful if it's used right, if it's used appropriately, if it holds the right place. But it's a terrible thing if it tries to serve the role of things that no amount of money could possibly serve. Ecclesiastes 5.10 tells us more about this love of money. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. How much is enough? Just a little more. Just a little bit more. Then that's enough. At every level of income, every level of wealth, there's always a next rung on the ladder, isn't there? There's always a buddy of yours who's got the newer thing or the better thing. There's always an article that you read where there's an upgrade coming to this. There's always a new fashion coming out. There's always another level of satisfaction. I'm one of those guys that even in video games, I just save money. Like, oh, how much money can I get? How many of those little coins can I collect and never spend them? What? Why? So I see a number? Like, what good does that do? None. But when we love money, we will never be satisfied with money. It will never be enough because our hearts are created to always want more. Our hearts are created to always pursue the next thing. It's part of what keeps the human race alive is the desire to go farther than we've gone in the past. It's, it's what's resulted in incredible discoveries in all parts of the world as well as in, in uh, financial investment as, as well as technology and medical advancement and the understanding of scripture because we want more. So whatever you're pointed at is the love of your heart it better be strong enough to handle your desires. And I have only found one thing that's strong enough to handle my desire for more, and it's God, the creator of heavens and earth, the one who was and is and is to come. There's always more. 
There's always more, and it always satisfies and always calls me to expand my heart. He is there for me. But money is just meant to be a tool. And how we feel about it, how we look at it, how we think about it, reveals what we truly love. It made me think of of like an artist, an artist who loves painting and is gifted at painting, but is obsessed with their brushes and paints instead of with painting. They're more interested in the tools of their trade than accomplishing their trade. They're more interested in, in painting and looking and seeing and getting the right order of brushes that go together and these work and instead of doing the thing that those brushes are there to do. Or like someone who loves to fish, being more obsessed with their reels and line and lures than with catching fish. That's what happens when we get obsessed with money. We focus on the tool and we leave the job undone. We leave the job not even accomplished. We don't use the tool for the right thing. Now it's okay to like brushes and paints. It's okay to like reels and line. It's okay to like money. But when it becomes the pursuit of our life, we miss out on the big picture. So take stock of your finances, your practices, your attitudes, your heart when it comes to finances. Take stock. The second thing we need to do is to plan ahead. A plan is a very good thing. A plan means we've given purpose to finances. And God wants to help you in this. Oh my goodness. You don't have to be the one who figures out your plan by yourself. God wants to help you. There are others who are incredibly gifted. Some of you in this room, finances is your sweet spot. You are just good at it. You know how to use it. You know how to invest. You know how to hold back. You know how to direct this tool to accomplish the best that it can. But others of us aren't gifted in that. And it seems like some kind of magical foreign world, like these wizards of finances just wave their hands and money appears. Or I don't know how to do it. God doesn't want you to hide your need. He wants us to, first of all, come to him with it. There's a great story in scripture out of Genesis uh, 41. I just want to tell you, we could read it, and, and if you want to read uh, through these passages on your own time, certainly do that. But this story all starts with a dream. Well, with one dream, two dreams, three dreams, four dreams, five dreams. Dreams that were more than just what you ate yesterday or processing the challenges of your day. Dreams that meant something. Dreams that held something of God's voice in them. Two of the dreams were from a young man who didn't really know how to handle dreams, so he blabbed them all over and got thrown in a pit and sold into slavery and thrown in the dungeon. Two other dreams were two people who had worked for a pharaoh and their dreams one had a great interpretation, and the other had a terrible interpretation. One was, you're going to be restored to your position to serve the Pharaoh, and it's going to work out. The other is, you're going to lose your head. And the next two dreams, I guess there's six dreams total, were from the Pharaoh himself in Egypt. He dreamed a dream of seven cows, 
that were skinny and gaunt. But those seven skinny cows were coming up out of the Nile River, but ahead of them were seven fat cows. Marbled beef. You ever have any of that? That's the good stuff. The Bible describes these cows as sleek and smooth, not lumpy and chunky fat. The sleek, smooth, healthy cows with the the fur that's just laying against their body, and you know they're, they're healthy. Well, these seven skinny cows come up out of the Nile River in Pharaoh's dream, and they consume, they eat, they wolf down these fat cows. That would be a sight to see, wouldn't it? A cow eating a cow. It's very disturbing. It's one of those dreams you'd wake up from and remember, something is wrong in my mind. I don't know what's going on. But here's the thing. Those skinny cows stayed skinny. Their bellies were still concave. Their ribs were still showing. Their faces were still sunken. And the king woke up and asked all his sorcerers, all the people. At this time, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the entire world. And he had every resource possible and called every man and woman who had any kind of knowledge, any kind of ability, any kind of wisdom, and asked them to interpret the dream. And he offered rewards for those who would interpret the dream. And time after time after time, they fell short. I don't know, king. I don't know, pharaoh. We're not sure. And then all of a sudden, this one man who had been in the dungeon with with this young Hebrew man, this young Israelite man, says, wait, wait, wait. I had a dream in the dungeon, and he interpreted it, and it came true, and that's why I'm here with you, Pharaoh. And he says, well, go get this Hebrew boy. Go get this Israelite young man. And they go and get Joseph from the dungeon The Bible says he shaved his beard, he washed up, he got cleaned up, and he went and stood before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells him the dream and says, will you tell me what it means? And Joseph says, I will pray to my God and ask him what it means, and I will let you know. So Joseph, though he has a history of being able to interpret, though he has a history of knowing what dreams mean, he still doesn't rely on his own wisdom. But he goes and prays and says, God, what does this mean? And he hears the voice of God. And he says, Pharaoh, I've heard what the meaning of this dream is. There will be seven years of abundance, seven years where there's bumper crops and everything works out. And Egypt just has the best of the best. All of our investments will return. All of our crops will multiply over and over. We will have more than we can imagine for seven years. But coming on the heels of that will be seven years of famine, a famine so deep that every resource would be consumed. And it will look like nothing has happened. And in fact, Pharaoh says, well, I've had a second dream. After that cow dream, I had one where wheat Healthy heads of wheat were on the edge of the river, and unhealthy heads of wheat, you know, withered and and dying, and and no kernels on came up and ate the healthy wheat, and they didn't improve at all. Talk about a weird dream. Cows eating cows. Okay, at least cows eat. But wheat eating wheat? Like, where's the mouth? How does that work? And Joseph says, well, Pharaoh... 
because you receive two dreams from God about this, it is guaranteed to happen. It has been decided. No amount of prayer or fasting or pleading with God will stop this. This is guaranteed to happen. And Pharaoh says, well, what do I do? And Joseph said, what I would do is take the seven years and store up all the extra. Store up all the extra. Save it up. So when the seven years of lean times come, the seven years of famine, the time when there is not abundance and finances are gone, we will have enough to take care of our people. This was Joseph, who two hours before is in prison in the dungeon in Egypt, now talking to the Pharaoh because he hears the voice of God. And Pharaoh looks around at all those who failed him, looks back to Joseph, and he said, the job is yours. You will be the second most powerful man in Egypt. Everyone will do what you say. I will be the only one more powerful. In fact, you have so much authority. Here's my ring with the seal in it. So anything you say is law, go for it. And Joseph was so wise because he sought God. He listened to his creator. He didn't make the decision himself, but he sought God. And he led Egypt to save that even during the seven years of famine, not only was every need met in Egypt, but the nations surrounding Egypt came and were able to find abundance because of the planning ahead that God led Joseph to do. Not only that, it reunited Joseph with the family he was estranged from. It allowed him to see his father once again before his father passed away. It restored the broken relationships between Joseph and his brothers who had sold him to slavery and lied about him. God restored by using finances. You see, money isn't just about paying your bills. Money isn't just about getting a house. Money isn't just about not having enough. Money is a tool God uses to build relationship, to feed the hungry, to provide for the future, to expand his kingdom. So when we plan ahead with finances, it's not just so we get what we want. When we waste our money, we're not just wasting our money. We're using a tool that God has entrusted us to make eternal differences. What we see here is God was a part of the plan. He showed ahead of time what needed to be done. He brought people together with special gifts in order to plan ahead. I want to encourage you, if you're planning your finances, as we come up to the end of the year and you're looking at 2024, sit down with the Bible. Invite the Holy Spirit in. Look at your finances and say, God, show, show me. If you have shared finances with a spouse or with someone else, sit down with them and say, God, show us what your plan is. We don't want to make our best guess. You're the God who sees tomorrow. You know the end from the beginning. Would you show me? Would you reveal? Maybe through a crazy dream he'll show you, but maybe just through logic and good planning he'll show you. But there's a closer reality that most of us face in our finances. Proverbs 22.7 comes from the lack of planning. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Again, don't spend more than you make. You become enslaved 
to your debt holders. Um, I won't say, can I get an amen? Because uh, most of us understand this reality. If you go into debt, let it be good debt. Okay? There is some good debt out there. Credit cards are not good debt. I will even say vehicles are not good debt. How many of you have made good money on a vehicle you purchased? I know some of you fix up vehicles and sell them back. I'm not talking that. I'm saying you went into the lot, you bought a new vehicle, and three years later you sold it and made a great profit. Anyone? All right. Larry, of course Larry did. Larry's got the gift. But most of us, as soon as you buy that vehicle, it's losing money. So why pay interest on something that's losing money? Good debt is finances, being invested in property. Now, don't take my advice, okay? I am not giving you financial advice. I'm just saying what most people say, good debt is investing finances in property. Because that typically goes up. But even then, you have to say, what can I afford? Not what do I want, not how big do I want my kitchen, or how many cars do I need to fit in my garage, but what is a reasonable investment including upkeep and lawn care and gas and water and electricity and a new roof and all the things that come into it. The Bible tells us back, isn't it interesting, this ancient wisdom is so relevant today that the borrower is slave to the lender. And we seem to see this gap between rich and poor accelerating in our nation. And it's very easy for us to stand back and judge people in the other camp, isn't it? If you were smarter, you wouldn't have found yourself in that financial strapped situation. If you just made better decisions, you wouldn't find yourself there. Or those rich people took advantage of all these poor people, and that's why they're so rich. Quit judging each other. Let's love each other. God allows us to live in the state we're in. Yes, sometimes our bad decisions lead us into bad places. And sometimes our shrewd decisions lead us into good places. But for us to judge someone else based on the amount of wealth they have is a foolish, foolish thing to do. That is not where worth comes from. That is not a measure of character. That is not a measure of God's love and blessing on someone, how much or how little finances they have. But wherever you are, you can start where you are and plan. Oh, my goodness, I'm getting a phone call here. (laughs) So, trust God to provide what you need. If you're trapped in debt, spend time praying, make a plan, go after paying it down. Get someone on your team to hold you accountable. Okay, Philippians 4.19, we're moving along here. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. If you're stuck financially, or if you have so many finances you don't know what to do with them, ask God. Ask God, what do you got for me? Your riches and glory, your plans. How can I use this tool to bring you glory, to bless the lives of others, to care for those I'm responsible for? Invite Jesus into your finances as you plan. Ask for his wisdom, the Holy Spirit's self-control, God the Father's supernatural provision. He will meet all your needs. Not all your wants. I got a lot of wants. Anyone else with me? You got a lot of wants? Yeah, I got a lot of wants. I even convinced myself some of my wants are needs. 
I really need a new TV. I mean, I do. Ours is like six years old. It's not even 4K. Certainly not OLED. I mean, I need that. Really, I do. Really? You, you need a new TV? I need a new phone this year. I got to stay on top of technology. What am I going to use if I have yesterday, last year's phone? I can't even make a phone call, which I never do on my phone. No, I don't need that. I want it. God will supply all your needs. That means you will have somewhere, something to wear and something to eat. That's what your needs are. Food and clothing. We can even live without housing. I've seen a lot of people live without housing. Jesus lived without housing. Now, yes, he lived in a very much more temperate climate than we do. So housing is right up there. But how many times do we expand need to cover a whole bunch of wants and find ourselves spending money on things that really don't satisfy and cause us to find ourselves in lack in other areas of our life? God will supply all your needs. Sometimes we leave so much on the table by not asking God into our financial lives. We think it's unspiritual or or just another thing that we've got to be responsible for, but he is hungry to set you free from your financial hiccups and missteps and wrong focuses. He is there to set you free. To set you free. I know people on all parts of the spectrum who have surrendered their lives to Jesus, including their finances, and he has done things they could not have imagined. And there's such a peace and a freedom in their life when it comes to money, not an obsession. Finally, let's wrap it up here by we inspect results. Inspect your results. So started talking about the white winner. Um, we have another vehicle. My wife has always wanted a Jeep, and we finally got her a Jeep. And it is, we've paid it off now, and she has her Jeep. She even names her Jeep Eleanor. Eleanor the Jeep. All right. And so she's taken it in to get it fixed. And I have never, ever, once in my life gotten my tires changed and checked the bolts, however many years or days or miles later you're supposed to, uh, or the nuts, you know, that, that hold that. I'm like, they're fine. And I've never had a problem. And with the Jeep, we had never done it. And then recently, over the last two years, we've had some work done. We've gotten it back. And within two or three miles, you feel the wheels shaking. And I'm like, what, what's wrong? She's like, something is really wrong. I'm like, okay. And we bring it back in, and they're almost falling off. And it's happened two or three times now. And I can't just go off the way I used to do things. Ah, it's fine. They'll stay on. It'll be fine. I have to change my process and go out there and check my wife's tires and make sure the wheels are firmly secured to the Jeep because I love her and I don't want her to die. But we need to do that with our finances. They aren't just set it and forget it. Check up on your finances. How am I doing? Am I living by God's ways? Am I trusting him? Is my heart being drawn back to trust in finances or be fearful if I don't have finances? How am I doing? Let's check in with myself. Am I spending too much? Am I saving thinking that's my salvation and that's going to take care of me? Or am I trusting God? Not that spending or saving are bad. They each have their place. But am I trusting God with my finances rather than my finances? 
2 Corinthians 13.5, last verse of the day. Worship team, you can come on up. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Check in with yourself. Check in where finances are in your life. Check in if you're living in a way that's producing more freedom and opportunity. If God were to call you to do something right now, are your finances in a place where you could say yes? Or would you have to say, God, I've got a lot of stuff I got to pay off. I can't go on the mission field. I can't give to this person in need. I can't step up and provide relief for those in war-torn countries because my finances are a mess. And if that's you, no guilt, okay? I'm not coming at you this morning. I'm saying God has freedom for you. He has a way for you not to keep living that way. But take stock, plan ahead, and then inspect your results. What is your use and view of money throughout the year? Did you know Christmas is coming? Did you know Christmas comes every December? And did you know just about all of us have to buy gifts at Christmas? What a shock. Oh my goodness, I need an extra $1,000. I need an extra $500. I need an extra $10,000. I don't know how much you spend on Christmas. Uh Uh-oh, well, here's the credit card. You had all year to plan. (laughs) All year to inspect your results. How am I doing? Now, I am standing up here saying we don't have much Christmas money saved. So I'm not standing up here pointing my finger at you. I'm preaching this sermon to this guy, too. But it's like this surprise. Oh my goodness, I had no idea that I was going to have to pay taxes on my house. Oh my. Or I had no idea that, well, we didn't have an idea food was going to cost more. But everything costs more. So ask God into it to help you prepare that you don't live on the edge all the time. And so if there's anything beyond the edge, you find yourself in tragedy. The other side of it is humility. If you are in need, ask for help. Ask for help. It's okay. Now, not everybody's going to be able to meet the need. Not everyone's going to be able to come through for you. But so many times we don't ask for help or we wait way too long to ask for help. Rather than, hey, could you, you seem to be good at finances. Could you sit down with me and my budget and help me figure this out? Why are we so secretive about our money, our own little stash? It's almost like Gollum. It's his precious my precious. No, you can't see how much money I make. Why? Here's why. Because money represents something it's not meant to in your life. Either it's value, or it's shame, or it's control, or it's security. And it's so personal and private, you don't let anyone see No, you have to be wise about who you invite in. Don't just go blabbing it all over the place because not everyone else has the maturity or understanding to know how to handle that well. But ask for help if you need help. Ask God for help. Some of you are incredibly gifted with finances and others are not. Not everyone is going to be a superstar with your finances. But everyone can make a difference. Everyone can surrender themselves to the Lord so money doesn't try to become your God and wreck your life. Because money has no heart. Money has no will. Money doesn't care about you. 
Finances aren't going to be there when you're sick. Finances aren't going to be there when you're lonely. Finances aren't going to be there when you're lost. Finances aren't going to be there when you're addicted, except to get you more addicted. But Jesus will be. Your brothers and sisters in Christ will be. So don't let money take the role that God is meant to play and that people are meant to play. God has a plan for your financial freedom. And he wants you to be free from the love of money that never satisfies. So as we wrap up our time together, I just want to pray one prayer. I'm going to ask us all just to close our eyes, maybe bow your head if that's comfortable. And I'm going to ask for a simple response. It's kind of a confession. And this is my question. If you want God's help with your finances... Raise your hand. If you want God's help with your finances, if you want him to step in and help you, whether you've got more than you know what to do with or you don't have a clue how you're going to eat lunch today, Lord, you see the hands that are raised, including my own. And we ask that you would help us with this tool you've given us to use it right. Help us to get the training, the understanding, the self-control, the peace and confidence that you are our security. You are our safety. Holy Spirit, I pray you would meet each one who raised their hand today. and Let a sense of peace and wholeness flood their spirit. I pray all shame is gone in Jesus' name. And all pride would be removed in the name of Jesus. And we could find ourselves equals at the foot of the cross, knowing you have supplied all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Meet those who are desperately in need and poverty, Lord, and show us as individuals in a church family what we can do to help meet those in need. We thank you for your goodness, Lord Jesus, and for the freedom you offer us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, and please join us each Sunday at 10 a.m. for our worship service.